Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I'm embarrassed to say I liked Trey when Robin first started bringing him around. He was meek and a little awkward. I could tell he was nervous the first time we met, but what 16-year-old boy isn't when they meet their girlfriend's father for the first time? From the beginning, I suspected there was more to their relationship than what they allowed us to see. But again, what 16-year-old doesn't hide parts of their life from their parents? It all felt perfectly normal. Besides the unavoidable and illogical regret I felt from my little girl growing up, everything seemed fine. But then Robin changed. She stopped eating meals with us for one thing. Then it seemed like she stopped eating at all. She told us she was eating at school, and that her friends liked to go over to the gas station for snacks too, so by the time she got home she just wasn't hungry. My wife lectured her on nutrition, but this fell on deaf ears. I knew Robin was lying anyway. She had rapidly taken on an emaciated and hollow appearance. My first suspicion was bulimia. I thought maybe she was insecure about how she looked. Maybe she had caught Trey stealing a glance at one of their classmates or a passing jogger. I didn't learn what was really going on until the day I caved in Trey's skull. Robin has been doing better since Trey left her without saying goodbye. Emotionally, she's a wreck, but physically, I haven't seen her look so healthy in almost a year. Her gaunt, practically skeletal face has already started to fill back in. Her arms seem to have some meat on them again. She's probably just able to hold water again. I bet her body is like a sponge left outside the sink for too long. She looked all shriveled up like that, and nearly as yellow. But the last couple of days, she's been under a dripping faucet slowly but surely absorbing and holding life. She's coming back to us. When I look out the kitchen window, the one above the sink, I see him. I see us. I just want to gaze out at the little grove of trees down there at the bottom of the hill our driveway winds around. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that the same way again. I remember the way our conversation went the second day after Trey vanished. I had been standing in the kitchen, staring out that window, when Robin asked, Are you sure the last time you talked to Trey was at dinner Saturday night? I couldn't help myself. I answered, You call that a dinner? There was food, and I guess the two of you made an appearance. But I wouldn't say it was, Perry, that's enough, my wife Dana scolded. She was right. I was not doing myself any favors by acting so callous about Trey's disappearance. I wasn't good at the balancing act. If I acted too concerned, they would be suspicious because they both knew how I really felt about Trey. But I also didn't want to come across as so hateful of the boy that I could have done what I did. I don't know, Mom. I'm stuck. I don't know what else to do without going to the cops. Robin had dropped her head onto the table behind her forearms. Her glowing forearms. They looked so healthy. 
not one ugly purple vein in sight. I hurriedly inserted, You should probably let his parents go to the cops if anyone's going to do that. I'm sure they'll know when it's time. They don't care about him, Robin replied, muffled by her arms and the dining room table. They never have. He says I'm the first person who's ever really loved him. Of course he said that, I thought. There's no better way to make a girl feel special. Or like she can never leave. Robin turned out to be correct about Trey's parents, though. They never reported Trey missing. The investigation into his disappearance only kicked off after his car was discovered. Oh, honey, Dana said on that second day. I remember feeling worried I might have to play the bad guy against my sympathetic wife. I knew she hated Trey as much as me. Almost. She wouldn't have ever done what I did. But that's why I had to do it. No one else would have. Even if that's true, I still think it's best to let them decide when it's time to bring in the investigators. Besides, do you really think Trey wants the cops taking a close look at his life? I had asked. Dad, seriously, he wasn't a drug dealer, Robin was shouting at me now. She had lifted her head from the table. Her eyes were so full of anger, but so full of life. There was so much vitality swimming in her tears, I nearly smiled despite myself. I was the one who had put the life back in those eyes. Maybe she would hate me for it later, if my dark deed was ever discovered. But I didn't care. I still don't. And Trey was not a dealer. Not to anyone but Robin, as far as I know. But I have it from his very own mouth that he was supplying her. That's why he's dead. Not because of the drugs. Not directly. I'm sure I could have found a non-violent solution to the situation had that been the case. No, it was how he told me, the way he said it. He had come by in the middle of the night, 12.37 a.m. to be exact. I remember distinctly because I looked at the clock when I heard his car pull up our long driveway. He had his headlights off. I had been up trying to drain my sinuses so I could sleep. Allergy season has been suffocating me. When I heard Trey's car door close, I snuck out onto our screened-in porch to wait for him. But he didn't come up to the house right away. He walked down to the little grove of trees at the base of the driveway, and in the stillness of the night, I heard his zipper open. On bare feet, I snuck down the hill. I waited patiently for him to finish taking a leak, and when he zipped up and turned around, there I was. Trey jumped and nearly let out a yell that would have given us both away. He caught himself, realizing just in time it was only me standing there in the dark. Only me. What are you doing here? I demanded. Oh, uh, Robin left some stuff in my car. I was just bringing it back. I was only going to leave it on the porch, I swear. But I chugged an Arizona tea like half an hour ago and... He trailed off as I shook my head at him. I said, you can just give whatever it is to me. I'll give it to her in the morning. Trey shifted uncomfortably. That's all right. I can actually just give it to her tomorrow. Is it pills, Trey? I looked him dead in his moonlight-reflecting eyes. I caught him off guard. He didn't have any lies or diversions prepared. Instead, he stammered like an idiot and shifted again. I noticed the wrinkled handle of a white plastic grocery bag sticking out of his faux leather jacket's front pocket. I grabbed at it, and he stepped back. What are you doing? He shouted a little louder than I was comfortable with. I held a finger to my lips. I said, Prove to me you're not selling drugs to my daughter, or you two are done. I'll make sure you never see her again. 
A smirk flashed on his face. He knew as well as I how hollow this threat was. Forcing an end to their relationship would only force it to continue in the shadows instead of the light. I'm not selling drugs to Robin, he said slyly, and I caught my mistake. I shouldn't have used that word, selling. Show me what you brought her. No. Show me or I'll call the cops about a trespasser on my property. They can take a look at what you've got instead. I thought I had him, but he surprised me with a look of cool confidence. I guess when he realized the game was up, he decided just to go all in. You know what? He said. Have at it, old man. She's already hooked anyway. Nothing you do is going to keep her away from me now. He tossed me the plastic grocery bag. It landed at my feet. I didn't even try to catch it. Now it was me who had been caught off guard, and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do next. I picked up the bag and looked inside. There were three clear sandwich baggies in there, each with a small handful of white pills. Some were circles, others rectangular. Some had pharmaceutical markings. Others were blank. What are they? I asked. The bag shook in my trembling hand. Ask Robin, Trey said. He snatched the bag back from me. I was too distracted to react. I had already known, but actually seeing the pills having them tossed at me as if I were some helpless idiot. I hadn't been prepared for any of this that night. You're done, I growled. I never want to see you around here again. I never want you talking to Robin again. And before you say you'll find a way to see her anyway, I'm going to find a program for her first thing tomorrow, somewhere out of state, somewhere as far from you as I can get her. And when she gets out, we'll move if we have to. Good luck with that, Trey laughed. He actually laughed in my face. She's hooked for good, man. If you knew the things she would do for a hit, there you have them. The words that ended Trey Dacus's life. They were the last he would ever say. The last I could make out anyway. The creep sidestepped and walked right past me. Our shoulders brushed against each other and I felt him put a little shove into it. Then he started walking up the driveway with his back to me. I straightened my neck and stared, unfocused, at the tree in front of me in total disbelief. Then my eyes dropped to the dark splotch near the base of the tree's trunk. I could practically smell the stink of his toxic piss. My hands were on Trey Dacus's shoulders before he even realized I was chasing him. I yanked him back hard enough to knock him off balance, then pulled on his jacket until I had him in front of me. With two adrenalized shoves, I pushed him in front of the disrespected tree. He nearly recovered his balance before I lunged at him. He slipped my left hand, but my right found his hair. With an open palm, I clamped down on his skull and clawed until I had a fistful of his oily, sandy hair. It's funny. I remember hearing a crunch as his head cracked against the tree. I remember because it was oh so satisfying. But I can't recall the actual sound now. When I try, all I can hear is an egg splitting against a glass bowl. I intended to yank Trey back by the hair and hit him against the tree again to fill his torn cheek with tiny chunks of bark, but his whole body dropped after the first blow. I couldn't pull back his weight, so I let him slide down, limp. His face stayed against the rough bark as his shoulders fell. Soon his neck was bent at about 45 degrees. At that point, the tree began exacting its vengeance, its pound of flesh. 
Trey's blood smeared thick and wet as his face came apart. Between a few scraggly cracks in the bark, bits of torn skin stuck. When his face, or probably his skull at that point, reached the dark spot near the base of the trunk, I imagine that's when his eye was... Well, it became much like the yolk of that cracked egg. Trey Dacus's head landed in the urine-soaked mud he had created, and he was still. Joy. Ecstatic joy. I felt the purest, most elevating joy I believe I have ever felt as I looked down on Trey's motionless corpse. I felt, as horrible as it sounds, that a part of Robin had died with him. He had been the only one who knew the version of my daughter who would do anything for a fix. That person had died with him. Up at the house, I knew the version of my daughter I had known was sleeping soundly. She wouldn't wake up right away, not the first morning or the second, but maybe by the ninth or tenth she would crack open her eyes and begin her slow back to the forefront of Robin's psyche. A cold breeze whipped through the trees and blew through my clothes. This minor discomfort tainted my ecstasy just enough to bring me back to the present. There was a dead boy, with half a face, laying a few yards from my house. His car was parked even closer. I wished I had planned this killing in a way I could have disguised as a drug overdose. They're common enough these days that, sadly, I'm sure the story would have been perfectly believable. In fact, I dwelled on this idea long enough to convince myself that maybe if I did call the police, not right away, but shortly after sunrise, if I pumped him up with enough of what he had brought for Robin, maybe they would still believe he had OD'd. He passed out while taking a leak on a tree. I mean... The damage to his face hadn't really been done by me, after all. I was halfway back up the driveway when I stopped, sighed, and turned back. I had just murdered an unarmed 16-year-old boy with a pill habit. To risk defending against that charge in front of a jury would be lunacy. Greater lunacy, even, than dragging his body to the pond between my property and Bend Lundig's to the west. Once the body had been disposed of, rocks in the jacket pockets and all, I focused my attention on the car. I'd had the foresight to take the keys from Trey before dumping him. I siphoned out most of the half-tank of gas, then rolled the car down the driveway so I could start it without waking anyone. By this time, it was almost 2.30 in the morning, which gave me just about three hours until daylight. Some quick mental calculations convinced me I could drive up to the highway, drive it until it ran out of gas, and walk back to the house by five. With some stealth, I could sneak right into the shower and make it look like I had gotten up early instead of staying up all night. This plan went flawlessly. Trey's car died on the on-ramp just before I could pull it onto the highway. It looked like Trey simply ran out of gas and started walking. From there, who could know what might have happened to him? One thing's for sure, he had been driving the opposite direction of my house when he disappeared. I stepped out of the shower that morning and peeked in to see my wife still sleeping, oblivious. I made a pot of coffee that I intended to drink the bulk of on my own. I wasn't sure how I was going to get through the whole day. Maybe I'd find an excuse to nap. As I was filling the coffee pot's detachable water reservoir, I looked through the window above the sink. There was Trey. He looked smug as ever. There I was, coming up behind him. The reservoir overflowed as I watched myself grab Trey's shoulders, drag and shove him to the tree. 
the tree, still marked with Trey's blood. I swore and ran out the side door, leaving the water reservoir in the sink. I wondered if my hose was long enough to reach the grove of trees. I didn't think it was. A bucket then. I grabbed a big five-gallon bucket and filled it with as much water as I thought I could carry down the hill. I was so tired. I splashed the stained trunk, washing blood and piss off the tree. It all mixed together in rust-colored mud on the ground. It was supposed to be a sunny day. The thirsty tree would drink some of the water, and the rest would evaporate soon enough. She's hooked for good. Trey's voice drove an ice pick into my overburdened heart. I jumped and turned, but of course, no one was there. It was the lack of sleep, I told myself. I was seeing and hearing things. I just needed sleep. Dana came downstairs as if she were summoned through a ritual after the aroma of fresh coffee filled the house. I put on my cheeriest face, but my keen wife saw right through it. You look tired, Perry, she told me. Good thing I gave up my dreams of acting back in college. Didn't sleep too well. Got out of bed early, too. Maybe I'll try to nap later. Dana laughed. You never nap. Well, maybe today's the day. Robin stumbled down the stairs then, a flurry of loose clothes and muttered curse words. She was still pulling her baggy hoodie down around her waist when she entered the kitchen. Hey, did you guys find anything with, like, my name on it? She asked. What, like a bag of drugs? I wanted to ask but didn't. I couldn't give any indication I was aware of Trey's midnight visit. No, what are you looking for? Dana asked in her motherly tone. I just stayed quiet and hid my face behind a cupboard door while I grabbed two mugs. Nothing, I guess. Trey said, um, Trey said he was gonna maybe bring me a present. I tried to stay up, but I accidentally fell asleep. I closed the cupboard and looked at Robin. Even though she had just woken up, she looked like she hadn't slept in days. She had dark circles around her sunken eyes. Even her nose appeared to have caved in a little on the sides. Her cheeks were hollow and colorless. I decided to slip in a little vindicating comment. I just told your mom I had a hard time sleeping last night. I was up quite a bit, but I didn't hear Trey come by. Hmm, whatever. She took the mug I had intended for myself from my hand and filled it with black coffee. Then she disappeared up the stairs again. I shook my head and opened the cupboard for another mug. When I shut it, there was Trey again, getting dragged towards the tree. I looked away. Just tired, I reminded myself. Robin went behind our backs the third day after Trey's disappearance. She filed a missing persons report with the local police. That's when she learned his car had been found parked on the shoulder of the on-ramp, abandoned. Robin likely knowing the kind of trouble her boyfriend's lifestyle could bring, automatically assumed the worst. And even though her pain was enormous, I'm glad she started grieving Trey right away. It would have killed me to watch her hang on to hope when I knew the truth. I convinced Dana that Robin was probably right and that she shouldn't give our daughter any ideas about Trey coming back. I started avoiding the kitchen sink whenever I could. Every time I watched Trey die, it looked more brutal. It started making me sick to know that I could have done that to another person. To a boy. A 16-year-old with a pill habit. He had probably just needed love. Instead, he got his face ripped off by a tree and an angry father. Despite getting some okay sleep, not great but good considering the circumstances, the visions I was having only got worse. I worried I might be going insane. 
I looked out the window yesterday, accidentally, out of habit, and saw my hands clamp down on Trey's shoulders. I threw him back against the tree, but then I just stood there. Trey flew unnaturally into the trunk and his head cracked, but I just kept standing there, staring up at the window. And I had the eeriest grin on my face. It reminded me of that exhilarating joy I had felt just after murdering Trey. Seeing that expression on my own face as Trey's ghost bled behind mine made me realize how insane I had already been that night. The cops came around day six. They needed our permission to talk to Robin, and I insisted Dana and I be in the room with her. I didn't need her incriminating herself. I'm no lawyer, but I figured I could at least guide her away from any topics that would get her into trouble. I swear that was my primary motive. Don't forget, I did all of this for her. A detective sat at the dining room table with Robin and Dana. My nerves wouldn't allow me to sit. I stood in the kitchen, leaning back on the counter. The detective went over the facts of the case as the police knew them with Robin. They explained how Trey's car had been found out of gas near the highway. They asked her if she knew where he might have been going. I stood in the kitchen, praying the real reason for Trey's midnight visit would keep Robin from telling the detective her boyfriend had been on his way to our house on that dark night. My eyes kept flicking to the window, where I was down the hill slamming Trey into that tree again. My prayers were answered, I suppose. Robin acted completely oblivious, which I guess she really was. Trey was sliding down the trunk. Robin honestly didn't know why Trey's car was by the highway, but she also didn't mention where he was supposed to be going that night, or, obviously, what he had been bringing her. I was staring up at myself from the bottom of the hill. I didn't want to look, but I couldn't stand feeling the eyes bearing into my soul through the window. Down there, near the grove of trees where I had committed the act which brought the police to our door that day, I was grinning up at the house, at myself. I had a terrible expression on my face, one I had not made that night, or had at least not been aware of. The expression whispered sinister truths to me as I leaned on the counter listening to my daughter's interview. You're a murderer. You're not only glad he's dead, you're glad you killed him. You liked making him bleed. No, that wasn't true. I hadn't enjoyed the killing. I had enjoyed liberating Robin from the boy who was destroying her. Right? The detective asked Robin if she had heard from Trey at all the night he disappeared. She said they hadn't talked that night. The detective asked if she might be willing to show him their texts to see if there was anything that might help. No, no, she won't be showing you anything like that, I blurted out involuntarily. Dana looked appalled. Robin looked relieved. Not unless you come back with a warrant, I added. Well, Mr. Tandecki, I really hoped we might avoid going through all that. After all, it's not like your daughter is a suspect. I didn't like the look he gave me, nor did I appreciate the emphasis on your daughter. If the implication that I might be a suspect hadn't been intentional... It had certainly been festering in his subconscious. Or maybe my outburst had put the idea in his head. Fool. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw movement through the window. I glanced that way and saw a police officer who had been waiting outside strolling down to the trees. Um, well, I know how this works, and without a lawyer present, I'd really rather my daughter not show you anything, I said. I knew I sounded nervous. Hmm, all right. The detective returned his direct attention to Robin, 
We won't worry about the text for now. Who knows, we might still recover Trey's phone. It was drowned in the lake, but there was still a chance he was right. The officer had reached the grove and was standing directly in front of the tree that surely had Trey's DNA smeared all over it. He put his hands on his hips. For an agonizing moment, I thought he had seen something. Something suspicious. Something which might turn this artificially friendly visit into a spontaneous arrest. But then I realized the officer was only adjusting his utility belt. Then his hands went to his crotch, and I realized he had simply been left outside too long. He soaked the dirt where the life had sputtered out of Tredacus, and unwittingly contaminated the crime scene. The last few questions asked of Robin were benign enough, and soon the police were out of our hair. I could tell Dana had questions for me she didn't dare ask in Robin's presence. If she did, she never got the chance. Later that evening, the western edge of our property blinked red and blue. Stepping out on the porch, I could vaguely make out lights from about half a dozen cop cars in the distance, all parked over on Ben Lundig's property. If I had to guess, they were probably all circled around the pond we shared between our land. I took out the good scotch and poured myself a double, no ice. Dana came downstairs, saw the bottle, saw my glass, and gave me a searching look. I gave nothing away. Our hysterical daughter came down right after her mother, and Dana caught her before she could run out the door barefoot in her pajamas. It's Trey, I know it's Trey, Robin cried. Oh, how her world was about to crumble. I expected the knock at any minute. Mr. Tandecki, you're under arrest for the murder of Trey Dacus. But it didn't come. No one came to the door that night. I waited up with Robin until the last of the red and blue lights went dark. When no one knocked or called, she fell asleep with her head on her folded hands in my lap. I guess I fell asleep at some point, too. We both lurched off the couch when the doorbell woke us early the next morning. I told Robin to wait back in the living room. She followed me to the door anyway. My heart pounding, I peered through the peephole. When I saw who stood on the porch, I breathed a deep sigh of relief and told Robin it was only our good neighbor, Mr. Lundig. She buried her face in her hands, went back to the couch, and curled into a ball. I slipped through the door without opening it any further than necessary. Ben didn't back up. He put an armor on my shoulders and drew me in closer, actually. You'll never believe what happened to me yesterday evening, Ben said. My heart hadn't calmed down yet, and now it resumed its feverish pace. I was fishing from my little boat, hoping maybe I'd catch one of those bluegill I put in last year. Just a little something to cook up for supper. The tension was driving me nuts. I said, I saw the police over at your place last night. Everything all right? Oh, I think so. Afraid I got some bad news, though. See, I paddled my way out there, but you know I ain't getting any younger. I was a bit too tired to paddle back, even though it's a small pond. I fired up the motor to take me back to the bank, but, uh, well, the engine caught something and made a big mess. A gruesome scene. My throat clicked as I swallowed. Yep, seems that kid they've been looking for. Trey, was it? He must have stumbled into the pond late at night, likely drunk, or, well, they found a whole bunch of pills in his pocket. Anyway, your daughter was seeing him, wasn't she? She was, I said. I must have been ghost white. 
I could feel a rim of cold sweat crowning my forehead. Well, that's a shame. Kid's body was a wreck. He'd been in that pond for days and, well, that on top of what my little motor did to his face. When I stayed quiet, Ben took his arm off of my shoulders. He squared his own and positioned himself directly across from me. I dared a look into his eyes. His crow's feet creased, but his mouth did not smile. Was he toying with me? Was this some sort of blackmail? I had always gotten along with old Ben. I considered him a friend. You know, it's a real shame. I might have been able to help him most any other night. I'm usually a light sleeper and notice when people come creeping near my property late at night. I figure a splash that big would have woken me right up. Just so happens that a few nights ago I took one of the sleeping pills my doctor prescribed a few months back. I don't usually touch them, but what a shame, huh? Now a smile did break out on Ben's face. Just a subtle one, but it told me enough. My mouth hung open and stupid. I'm sure my eyes were nearly as wide. However I looked, it made Ben laugh. He clapped one of his big rancher's hands on my shoulder and shook his head casually. Perry, you just tend to that daughter of yours. I'm sure she'll need some comforting. But in the long run, she'll be all right. With a good dad like you, she'll be all right. And with those parting words, he moseyed off my porch and across my land toward his own. The same detective dropped by later and told me what Ben had said almost verbatim, but without the playful innuendo. He asked if I wanted to break the news to Robin or if I would like him to, and I told him I would handle it. I watched him drive off from the kitchen window. As his car pulled away, past the tree, you know which one, I saw myself there, grinning up the hill like before. But the sinister look I saw in my eyes didn't have the same effect now. It looked somewhat moronic, to be honest. I smiled through the window, at myself, and thought the apparition winced a little at my confidence. I wouldn't let that repeating scene change me. I'm not an evil man. I watched Trey fade away. I'm not a bad guy. My ghost self slipped into transparency. I'm just a father who will do anything to protect his daughter. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.